you're listening to Prep Period, the only podcast for teachers that's focused on quick wins and actionable tips that can be implemented in your classroom tomorrow. Prep Period starts in three, two, one. Welcome to the Prep Period Podcast. Uh, my name is Brian Bean. I'm your host as usual. Um, in today's episode, we're going to discuss how ELL students, your English language learners, how they can be a major benefit for your classes. We're also going to talk about how to teach ELL students from what's called an, an asset-based perspective rather than a deficiency perspective. And I'm very excited. Our guest today is Lauren Bartholomew. She's from the Norfolk Public School System in Virginia. So welcome, Lauren. First things first, let's get our listeners a little bit more familiar with you, Lauren. Uh, so Lauren Bartholomew is an educator specializing in using STEM slash STEAM initiatives to transcend English language learning boundaries in the secondary classroom. Her work focuses on immigrant and refugee newcomers and their cross-curricular experiences in U.S. classrooms. Uh, Lauren earned her uh, master's in education from Lehigh University uh, and is pursuing her uh, doctorate in education at Vanderbilt University and happens to be a fellow in my cohort. Uh, so shout out to Vandy. Um, so with that, Lauren, I'm so excited to have you on our podcast. Thank you for having me. Before we dive into all these other questions, I'm just curious, what got you into this particular niche within education? What drove you in this direction? So I've always been fascinated with international just differences, cultural differences, religious differences, political differences. And at the same time, I always saw a power of education. I was always tutoring or working somehow in the classroom. And when I had the opportunity to earn my um, master's at Lehigh, there happened to be a perfect uh, program that married both. And it was called Globalization and Educational Change. Mm. And I dove in there and recognized all these disparities that I felt um, we experienced around our world, that education could solve it and that we had so much to learn from one another. And so um, that is kind of how I got interested in that area. And then my story, which uh, connects to a lot of what we're going to talk about today as an educator, I had this glassy-eyed, perfect version, not realizing that working with diverse students means that that comes with diverse languages. And that's not something that you can prepare to no matter how great of a day-to-day teacher you are if um, you're not equipped with the right tools to, to break those barriers. So yeah. that kind of hit me flat in the face for my first few years of teaching at a super diverse school. And I grew to love it from there. You know, it's interesting you mentioned it. So my first couple of years teaching, I was in a very homogenous school. And it just didn't, I, I just didn't have to deal with it. Then I moved to Houston. And obviously the diversity in Houston versus Utah is going to be a little different. And uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to lie. It was like, you know, this huge culture shock. Um, You know, we've talked about before how the statistics show that, you know, ELL learners, the the, the numbers are just growing so rapidly. Uh, And it's not just in urban areas. And so, you know, if you're teaching for any amount of time, it's inevitable 
you're going to have to uh, work with students who don't necessarily have English as their first language, you know. Um, and so, you know, uh, rather than focusing on the negative, because I'm, there's a lot of teachers out there that get intimidated by it. It's, it's a challenge that they might not be prepared for, like you alluded to. So instead, let's focus on the positive. So my first question for you then, how can, how can having ELL students in your class enhance our experience, you know, as educators? Definitely. Well, first and foremost, our English learners bring so much to the classroom. So um, instead of being scared at them, we can look at what they're actually offering to us and our students by being in the room. They have different life experiences. They have different perspectives, additional linguistics abilities, and they can just demonstrate both to us and our students that there's more than one experience, more than one dimension. As we think through problems, maybe they have different ways to look at it, um, different things to offer, different connections that they can make that uh, kind of enhance both our experience as, as educators and also as examples to the other students. And I think that um, depending on their background, they went through a lot typically uh, with their families to get to that journey into the classroom and they are normally so excited when they feel like they can contribute to it as well. Yeah. And as educators, we always look for those light bulb moments and we know that uh, that feeling when it finally turns on. And so being able to bridge the access for our harder to reach learners feels just as good for us too. It's very satisfying. <laughs> oh, for, for sure, for sure. Um, now we have talked uh, in, in other conversations as well uh, that you and I have had, and you, you've talked about pre-screening. Like pre-screening as being kind of one of the, the, the best ways to become comfortable with your ELL students uh, so you can kind of focus on their assets of the individual and their culture. Definitely. So we need to kind of adopt this lens of, okay, as soon as this kid gets in my room, I'm going to focus on what they're bringing to it and what they can do rather than get hung up on what they can't do. And so the best way to pre-screen is to get to know where they come from, what their scores are, and how you can capitalize on those strengths and those connections that you can build and have them step into your classroom already feeling welcome and seen. Hmm. So um, unfortunately, so often as educators, we are bogged down by so many things and they, those things keep <laughs> multiplying and accumulating yeah. and so those little things that even you just like saying okay you have a new student today um, looking where they're from so you can like greet them in that language or have that flag in your classroom um, will help so so much really there even just a little thing like the flag in the classroom I hadn't thought about that absolutely so our students are always trying to see themselves in kind of what we do, right? So uh, there's a big wave that we all are familiar with now with culturally responsive teaching, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that just means being super responsive to the um, differences in cultures that our students represent in our classroom and responding to them by in our examples and in our content. Um, so we need to be considerate, and, and normally that's presented in 
diversity within the uh, traditional U.S. classroom. However, considering ELs in this classroom, even if there's just one student that represents a certain culture or race, we want to see them included in the classroom as well. Oh, for sure. Uh, so on that note, let's talk about, you know, what are some ways that teachers can do, like little things, like you'd mentioned the flags. What are some little things that teachers can do just to utilize the environment, their actual classroom environment itself to help kind of bridge that gap, ease those tensions, help the, the ELL students as well as help the students that aren't ELL become comfortable with each other? For sure, and as we've spoken about before, creating a safe space in your classroom community is a prerequisite to learning any uh, academic material. So if we want our students to contribute to the class as well as take things away, they need to feel a part of that community. And decorations are, um, as you mentioned, such an essential part of that. Um, so just making your classroom feel like a welcoming place actually Putting up directions and the decorations in the first place helps a lot because those bare walls can be very intimidating. Um, and then including them in the decorations. So, uh, for one instance, having students pin a map of where they're from or where they identify with or even where they want to go if they feel like um, we just want these kids to feel seen and feel a part of it. And that generates a lot of conversation uh, amongst the students as well. Oh, you live there, you're from there, what's it like? Um, and that helps build that community really strong. I love that idea. Okay, I wanna shift gears just a little bit. Uh, we've talked a lot about uh, making the environment a safe place, but now I wanna talk a little bit about one of the things that is the scariest part for the educator. It's intimidating to teach ELL students uh, at times, particularly if you're in a subject where there might be some some vocabulary that's challenging for English learners. I would imagine that could be that much more intimidating, but at the same time, having high expectations, because I don't think you're doing anybody any favors by lowering expectations. You still wanna focus on high expectations, but how do you balance that with maintaining an appropriate level, taking into consideration your student's circumstances? How do you find that balance? And I think that's such an important question and where a lot of us fall short because we all know that we want to value our students and make them feel welcome. But um, how do we hold them accountable? Because they are here to learn and they do need to learn. The overall message is definitely to capitalize on their strengths. So how do you find those strengths to capitalize on? You have to look at their score report. So, ah, <laughs> um, yeah. the score. Brilliant, yeah, mind-blowing, use the data. The totally intuitive, very self-explanatory score that all of us teachers are familiar with. And we have so many different scores for so many different children, for so many different tests. Um, but this one, I swear, if you just glance over this um, score report that I will briefly overview in a second, it, it's very self-explanatory and it will give you so much insight onto what your students can and cannot do and how to adjust um, your expectations appropriately based on that. Okay, well, let's dive into that. So first things first, which score are we talking about? Okay, great question. <laughs> we are talking about um, typically a WIDA access score. WIDA, and that's W-I-D-A, WIDA? 
they, um, their assessments are used and standards are used now by over 40 U.S. states and territories, and um, the remaining ones use very similar assessments. Mm -hmm. um, so please look for your students' WIDA access score um, or something very similar. What that score report should identify is an overall composite score for your students, which we all know are general give us general ideas yeah don't they, tell they don't tell the whole they don't tell the uh, a true picture of what happened exactly and the true picture is really kind of the make or break for how we reach our els so um the composite score we generally use that to classify them um but beyond that it's not very helpful when we talk about managing our expectations we want to adjust those so if their strength is in speaking and listening we use those for assessments um, gotcha. and we use those to look for our higher level performance. So maybe the student can't write an essay, but maybe orally they can have a conversation or a debate with you to demonstrate that. Um, maybe they can create or vice versa. They might be much better at writing it down. Absolutely. Than speaking. Exactly. So just being open to being uh, flexible with these alternative assessments because in the end, that will help you more because they'll be producing things that you can work with. Yeah. Well, um, and, and I like the emphasis on, I should say like the de-emphasis of the composite. Because if you just look at the composite, it might say, you know, on a scale of one to, what is it, one to four? So um, different states have different cutoffs. Six is considered proficient, but most states exit kids around four point something. Gotcha. So you might have a student that comes in at a four. Uh, but it's because one skill is really good and the others are really lacking. But if you just assume they're a four, therefore they should be able to do all of it fairly well, then you're not doing that student any favors whatsoever. Absolutely. And we don't want to alienate them and we don't want to cause them stress and we don't want you to be disappointed in what they're producing as well. Uh, I like it. Now, uh, earlier, I did a little bit of research on the WIDA, uh, and there's this thing called can-do descriptors. Okay, so can you explain what those are and how we use them? Absolutely. So when I proposed this topic, I said we are trying to look at our English learners from an asset-based perspective, mm -hmm. and that's exactly what WIDA um, tries to support us in doing when they have these can do's. So what can these students do in each of these domains at each of these levels? So it is this asset base formula um, for us to navigate. So first off, you have to have that student score report, which we should receive them as like we receive IEPs and 504s at the beginning of the year. You yeah. should receive them. If not, you definitely please contact your interventionist or ESL teacher or coach or whoever that person is. Somebody know. on campus has that report. Somebody has them because yeah. legally they will be in big trouble if nobody does at that school. So um, somebody has them, find that person. <laughs> um, it is a one-page report, like I said, but uh, not too time-consuming. So an example of this is if you see a student and that student ha is a level three in listening, mm -hmm. but a level one in speaking, 
and you you say, okay, I know I have to adjust my expectations, but what does that mean? Um, what is a three? So you find listening, and you find three, and you kind of like make your fingers meet in the middle <laughs> of the boxes, <laughs> and um, then you see like quote this student in listening can categorize content-based examples from oral directions. Gotcha. Basically, these can-dos, they literally, instead of making you try to figure out what a three means in this area, it says if they're at a three in this area, here are things they can do. So it gives you a direction to start looking at and focusing in. It's a starting point. Well, I, uh, I hate to do this, but we're going to have to wrap it up. Uh, there's so much great information that is out there and available. Is there a website that people could go to to learn more about some of these can-do descriptors for WIDA? Because let's say they're at one of the states that doesn't use that assessment. Where could they go to get more information? Absolutely. Um, you can literally just Google WIDA. <laughs> W-I-D-A. W-I-D-A, um, specifically the can-do descriptors. People have done the legwork. Use your um, ESL point person in your building. Use the WIDA can-dos and just try it out. I love it. I love it. I think it's fantastic. Thank you so much for coming onto our program and sharing this information with because, you know, a lot of teachers, they just don't understand this world. They don't know it. They didn't go to school to learn this, most likely. Like in my case, I went to school to learn geology, right? And so this is a, a new part of the job that they weren't expecting. And to add any level of clarity, it just makes their lives easier, which makes the students' lives better. And so thank you very much for coming. Thank you so much. So one final thought for the day. Uh, first, thank you very much to Lauren for coming onto the show. I learned a tremendous amount. Uh, and, and I think this is a topic that is worth exploring more. Um, I love the idea of using your classroom as an environment to really celebrate students and their backgrounds. Uh, I like the idea of maybe even bringing, you know, first day of school kind of uh, get to know you assignment where students go and find out a little bit about their ancestry and their heritage. And come to class and we put a big map up on the board and they put pins or, or put circles on the map of the world as to where their ancestry, their genealogy uh, goes back to as a way to just kind of open up conversations and show all the students, including the ELL students, that we're all from way different parts of the world than the, than the little nook that we live in now. Uh, I love that idea. I think it opens up a lot of, a lot of doors for conversations and inclusion. Uh, so with that, uh, thank you very much for listening to the episode. Uh, as usual, if you or anyone you know would like to be a guest on our show, have them reach out to me at brian.bean at stukent.com. That's brian with an I. Dot bean, just like the vegetable, at stukent.com. Thanks for listening.